Okay, we're, re we're ready to start. Thank you for coming to Bible study this evening. Um, as you can see, I'm not Pastor Brendan. Pastor Brendan would normally be here um, <coughs> teaching on the book of Jeremiah on uh, Wednesday evenings, and that's been a great blessing. But um, <coughs> Emma, of course, has gone to a family funeral in Western Australia, so Brendan's home with four children, and uh, so he's not able to be here this evening. So I'm standing in for him, not continuing our studies in Jeremiah tonight, <coughs> but just to let you know that we're not the only people who've studied Jeremiah. Okay, We're not the only ones. Um, as a matter of fact, Daniel. Daniel also studied the book of Jeremiah and uh, he saw something very, very interesting there. And uh, so I'd like to invite you please to turn <coughs> in your Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. And uh, we'll read 23 verses. But um, before we begin... Well, before we go any further, we'll pray um, because, uh, well, it's always good to pray when you study the Bible, but it's also good to pray when you're going to learn about praying, um, which is our particular emphasis this evening. All right, so let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for uh, the, the Word of God, uh, which uh, we have in our own language. Thank you that we have it uh, before us. Thank you that you've given us the ability to read and uh, Lord, what a wonderful thing to read the Word of God, to set aside time to read the Scriptures together and uh, to uh, consider uh, the words that you've spoken to us. Lord, help us to uh, benefit uh, from this portion of Scripture this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> now, just to help a little bit with our orientation, down the bottom here we see the prophet Jeremiah and uh, <clears throat> we've been uh, faithfully studying his writings. And you can see that he was alive at the time of the, the end-time apostasy of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he was there prophesying, faithfully preaching uh, when uh, the first invasion and deportation, people were taken away. He was, he was warning people, warning people constantly. A judgment is coming, the Babylonians are coming. Okay, we've heard a lot about that. Uh, and they came, <coughs> uh, 605 BC, first invasion and deportation. And the prophet Daniel was taken at that time taken away to Babylon. And then there was a second in, uh, invasion and deportation and then a third and final one in 586 BC. And uh, that was the end of Judah <coughs> uh, for 70 years. For 70 years. The prophet Jeremiah <coughs> wrote in, I think it's chapter, um, chapter 25, that... <coughs> God had determined to chasten his people, Judah, for 70 years. Take them across to Babylon for 70 years. And after 70 years, the king of Babylon would be conquered, the Medes and the Persians. And things would change greatly for the nation of Israel. They'd be allowed to come back to the land after 70 years. And this is what Daniel was reading in his quiet time, presumably one morning. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, well, anyway, there's Babylon there. Okay. That's where Daniel was, and that's where Judah was in captivity for 70 years. But while he was down there, <clears throat> very close towards the end of the seven years' captivity, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 says, And in the first year of Darius, the son of Artaxerxes, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, Babylon has just fallen, the Medes and the Persians, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he's done the maths. Jeremiah said 70 years and he starts counting and he says, well, hang on a sec, that's about now. Verse 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fastings and sackcloth and ashes and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned, we've committed iniquity, we have done wickedly, we have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings and princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. 
but unto us is unto us confusion of faces, as it is this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all in Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, unto us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us, uh, before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel has transgressed thy law, even departing, they have not obeyed thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. The Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. We have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city of Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach unto all that are about us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations, the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. For thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Well, Daniel was a great prayer, wasn't he? Mind you, he had a lot of practice. If you just turn over back to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Verse 4 <coughs> says, Then the presidents and the princes sought occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and the princes assembled themselves together uh, to the king, and thus said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counsellors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that... Whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Notice it says he went into his house. That was his place of prayer. It says his windows being open. That shows us something about his courage. 
in prayer. Towards Jerusalem, the object of his prayer, kneeled upon his knees, his attitude for prayer, three times a day, his regularity in prayer, giving thanks before his God, the essence of his prayer, as he did aforetime, his continuance in prayer. Daniel was one of the great prayers of the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 14, Daniel's name is mentioned alongside of Job and Noah as being three men who, if interceding before God, God would hear them, even if he heard no one else. Those three men. If God was to answer anyone's prayer, it would have been Daniel's. And so for this reason, Daniel serves us as a very good pattern for praying. And here in Daniel chapter 9, there are two major things that I want to share with you that will help us in our praying. The first thing is preparation of the heart. Preparation of the heart. I think it's important for us to observe that Daniel didn't offer this magnificent prayer, at least without some forethought. He didn't just come and pray as a lot of us do, um, as though there was no prior consideration that was necessary. Now I know that a very important part of our prayer life is what we might call spontaneous prayer. That is the prayers that we offer on the spur of the moment, like you're drowning, Lord save me. Okay? No forethought, no preparation. Um, <clears throat> the prayers that we share with the Lord as we walk with him uh, throughout each day, just spontaneous praying. That kind of spontaneous prayer is a vital part of our daily walk with the Lord. But the Bible also emphasises the need to set, a time, set aside specific times of prayer, time that is set aside to devote to prayer and prayer alone, time set aside in our personal lives, a time set aside in our family life, time set aside in our church life where we, we don't do anything, we just pray together. Church prayer meetings have been a feature of the New Testament church since its inception. And it's to these specific times of prayer that, I'm, that we're referring to this evening. And preparation of heart is a good place to start. Preparation is a very, in, in very important factor in many things which prove to be successful. And it is an important aspect of prayer, although we're probably likely to overlook it. I think we're all aware that a preacher should be well prepared to deliver his sermons. And a preacher who isn't well prepared to deliver his sermons will probably needs to have a chat with him. But consider this, should we only prepare thoroughly when we speak to men? Shouldn't we give at least some thought to, pre to preparing ourselves when we're about to speak to God? Shouldn't we give some consideration to preparing our hearts before we open our mouth? You know, sometimes I think that it's possible for us to pray a lot of words um, and, and hoping that these words will stir up deep desires within our hearts. I think we often do that rather than us having these deep desires within our heart and from those desires flow forth words of prayer. Words should be vehicles to convey the desires of our hearts that are already there, not just the means of uh, stirring ourselves up. So how, would we, how do we prepare our hearts for praying? Well, what have we learned here? Well, by reading scripture. Verse 2, Daniel chapter 9 verse 2 tells us that Daniel was reading scripture. He was reading the book of Jeremiah. And as he read, he understood that the 70 years of captivity would soon come to an end. And he, he understood there's a promise of God. God had made a promise to his people that they would return to their land. God had promised that after the captivity, he would bless them. And, and discovering that, okay, he's reading his Bible, he discovers that. The truth of God's promise comes very, very vivid before his eyes and his understanding. And this is the thing that prompts him to pray. 
And the more we read and study the Bible, the more we can, we can learn of God's promises. And the more we learn of God's promises, the more fuel we have for our praying. And we're more likely to pray as the psalmist does in Psalm 119 verse 49. Lord, remember thy word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Lord, you've given your word to me. Okay? Remember the word that you've said unto me. Now this, is, this becomes his prayer. That's a prayer there. Lord, remember the word that you've given unto me. It's a great thing when our hearts and our prayers are full of God's word. There is no word that can prevail upon man like the word of God. And there is no prayer that can prevail with God like the prayers which are formed by the word of God. You know, we might go to someone and, and ask them, you know, uh, for such and such, on the basis of something they said. Um, you know, you, you told me that if I ever needed to borrow your spanners just to ask you. And actually, I need to borrow your spanners now. Is, is that okay if I borrow your spanners? And so what, we're just reminding them of something that they've already said. And if they're true to their word, they'll say, certainly. I, I told you that, you're asking about it, absolutely no problem. And so it is in prayer. And this is what Daniel does here. He says, Lord, you've said 70 years in captivity and then you would, things would turn and then you would bless. And so, Lord, please bless according to your word. Please deliver on what you've said in your word. This is what the word of God will do. This is how Bible reading helps us, works, so works in our heart. That then gives rise to prayer. Second way that we can prepare our hearts for prayer is by knowing the needs. If you go through Dave, Daniel's prayer here, it's, it's, it's a rehearsal of the history. It's, he recounts the history that led to their present predicament. The, the history that accounts for their present need. And Daniel was able to pray effectively and intelligently because he knew the need. He, he knew the needs of those he was praying for. And our prayers are all the more effective when we know a little bit of the history, we know a little bit of background, so we can pray intelligently concerning the present need. And that's one of the blessings of having an up-to-date prayer sheet every week. New information is giving, outlining the current needs so that we can pray according to those needs, so we can pray specifically for those needs. And just putting these two things together will do much to enhance our prayer life. Reading the scriptures helps us to know the promises of God. Knowing the need helps us to know how to pray intelligently. And so if we know what the needs are, and if we know what the promises of God are that address those needs, then our prayers will hit the target. Answers to prayer are according to God's will. And they're according to our needs. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. For your father knoweth what things ye need before you ask them. So in our praying, how much more will be, we be effective if we know the divine will and if we know the human need? Third way we can prepare our hearts for praying is by, by humbling ourselves. Verse 3, and I set my face under the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting, with sackcloth and ashes. An ancient oriental custom was to express inward thoughts by outward actions. And so as an expression of that, Daniel fasted and prayed and put on sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth was a coarse Garment made of black hair, ashes, of course, we know what ashes were, and they were put on the head and put on the clothing and then put on the ground, and then the, the prayer would kneel in them. And all this was an outward sign of a humiliation that he felt before God. And someone has said, we pray our best when we're at our lowest. Or alternatively, that, that prayer shall go highest that comes from the lowest. Psalm 130 verse 1 says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. 
And that expression, out of the depths, it, it's not just necessarily talking about some you know, circumstances without. It's, the phrase is also used to do with the, the location within, out of the depths of our soul. I don't know if you've ever had to push a car forward um, or any other heavy object, you've got to push it. And the, the lower you get, the easier it is to exert that pressure. If you've ever played in the second row of a, of a rugby union team, you might remember the coach saying, get down lower, get down lower. If you look at a rugby union scrum, particularly the professional guys, the back rowers are almost horizontal. Why? Because the lower you get down, the more leverage you get. In a similar sense, you know, it is with our praying. When our soul gets low, when we talk about being uh, prostrate before the Lord, the more leverage we can exert. According to the oriental custom of outward signs showing inward feelings, we find Ezekiel constantly, he says, and I fell on my face, and I fell on my face, five times. He gets down low before the Lord, his face toward the ground. If you look back at Daniel chapter 8, verse 17, it says, So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. Humility of soul is one of the best ways to prepare our hearts for praying. Not, no vestige of pride, no vestige of self-righteousness, all of that removed. Look at chapter 9, verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly, we have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, to our princes, our fathers, all the people of the land. Verse 10. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us, his servants, prophets. Uh, yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Verse 18. O Lord my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses. We don't have any. But we present them before you for thy great mercies. Nothing of human merit. There is nothing in self where, which, which is the basis of appeal. Nothing. And it's this deep humility of soul which brings down the blessing of God as we pray. So three ways, three possible ways to prepare our hearts. By reading the scriptures, by knowing the needs and by humbling ourselves. And this brings us quite uh, logically to our second major point. Some characteristics of prayer. Some characteristics of prayer that we see here. As we read through these 23 verses, we can discern some characteristics of Daniel's prayer, which would be very good for us to employ. Firstly, there is zeal. His praying was characterised by zeal, which I'm sure also characterised the prayer of many of the Pharisees. But Daniel's prayer here is different. In this respect, his zeal was for the glory of God. Verse 17, now therefore, O Lord God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy, thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear and open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, and for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. It's all for the Lord's sake. It's not for our sake, but for the Lord's sake and the sake of his name. 
You know, sometimes, and probably all too often, we, we might pray with the wrong motives. We might pray for the salvation of souls. Is that a good prayer? Absolutely. It's a wonderful prayer. But suppose we pray that prayer so that people might admire us for what a great soul winner we are. Okay, the wrong motive sort of spoils the thing. We might pray for God's blessing upon our church. And again, it's a wonderful and honourable prayer. But suppose we're praying that because we want to be loved and admired and hear the praise of men. The fact that we're involved in ministry is good. And the fact that we go to a prayer meeting is a good thing. But if our ministry is only motivated by, if our prayers are only motivated by, or even partly motivated by a desire for human recognition, then that motives spoils. It's good to pray. It's good to pray often. It's good to pray earnestly. But if we're praying with the wrong motive, our motive should be in prayer, like in everything else, whether therefore we eat or drink or pray, whatever we do to do all to the glory of God. Pray that God would be exalted. Pray so that the Lord Jesus would see the reward of his sufferings. Pray so that sinners might be saved. And that's another tongue to praise the Lord. That's another life to live for the Lord. Pray that sin might be overcome so that holiness and righteousness and mercy and the power of God and the grace of God might be magnified. If we're praying for those things which will greatly glorify God, then we're presenting a very, very good case to the Lord. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. For herein is my Father glorified. The whole thing about praying and answers to prayer, it's all about the glory of God. The prayers that we offer, the answers that we seek, it's, it's all about the glory of God. Someone said prayer is like an arrow. Or if prayer is like an arrow, then the glory of God is like the bowstring which speeds the arrow heavenward and without which we won't hit the target. Coming back to Daniel's prayer, not only do we notice zeal, we also notice intensity. Verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus rebuked those who prayed repetitiously as expressing their own vanity. But Daniel's repetition here in verse 19 is not an expression of vanity, an expression of his intensity. This is not vain repetition. This is intense repetition, like of which the Lord Jesus prayed, O oh my Father, O oh my Father. Here it is, verse 19. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. As if the first knock on heaven's door doesn't get an answer. And so he knocks again and then again. And if we knock and keep on knocking, Jesus himself said, it shall be opened unto you. And then in the next two verses, we see heaven opened unto Daniel and the angels of God descending. Or at least one. Cold, lifeless, listless, Prayers almost beg God to ignore them. But when our prayers are intense, so intense as if to say, I won't accept no for an answer. And I think these are the prayers that God delights to hear and answer. James 5.16 tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual fervent, two words in English, one word in Greek, it's the Greek word energy. Energeo, where we get the word energy. But then also in respect to prayer, the Greek word agonizomai is also used. We get the word agony there. Some prayers are full of energy, power of God. Beyond that, there are other prayers that are full of agony. Travailing in prayer is the way it's often translated. And Isaiah 66 verse 8 tells us, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth children. It's not until the travailing happens that we can expect to see some things accomplished. We must travail in prayer. And as 
Daniel did. The, the answer is on the way. Verse 23. At the, beginning of thy, at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment was given to me to go forth and answer Daniel's prayer, and so am I come. In answer to your prayers. As we consider Daniel's prayer further, we see in the midst of his intensity, we also see understanding. Come back to verse 19. He begins, O Lord, hear. Okay, he's asking for an audience with God. He wants to make sure that he's got God's attention. Not that he thinks himself worthy of it. Okay, read through here. Daniel identifies with his people, his sinful people. He associates himself with the sins of people 32 times in this chapter. He knows he's not worthy to receive anything of the Lord. But nonetheless, he asks for an audience of God based upon God being merciful, the end of verse 18. And since on the mercy of God, he's now confident that he's got God's attention, not because of his worthy, but because God is merciful. He's confident he now has God's ear. So he willingly makes his point. O Lord, verse 19, hear, O Lord, forgive. Okay, he knows what's needed. He knows what the people need. He understands the situation. He knows what got them into this situation. He knows what will get them out of this situation. He understands what is required. And so he prays with intensity, yes, but he also prays with understanding, which is exactly what the charismatics don't do. They pray with a lot of intensity, no doubt. And perhaps some of them pray with an earnestness, which perhaps is a rebuke to some of us. But they don't pray with understanding when they pray in tongues. They don't know what they're saying. But here there is a prayer that God understands and then everyone else hearing it can understand. Everyone else reading it can understand. Everyone can say amen to that because it's understood. Which is not the case when someone prays in tongues. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. If there's no understanding, then it's useless. You've got to pray in the Spirit, certainly. But pray with the understanding also. Daniel prayed with understanding. With intensity, yes, but with also with understanding. Another characteristic is that what we might call nearness. This prayer of Daniel was characterised by a holy nearness. Daniel was a man who lived his life close to the Lord. He was a lot like the Apostle John in the New Testament. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the beloved disciple who leaned upon Jesus' breast. He was the one so close to Jesus that for him, John alone was reserved the special privilege of receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Daniel in the Old Testament was much like John in these respects. The book of Daniel is a companion volume to the book of Revelation. And Dan to Daniel was revealed the privilege of special revelations for Daniel. Daniel received those privileges. And Daniel was also, like John, specially loved of the Lord. Look at verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplications and the commandment came forth, I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Just turn over to chapter 10, verse 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee. Verse 19. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace unto thee, be strong. Like John, Daniel was also a man who lived close to the Lord. And he prayed as someone close to the Lord. Chapter 9, verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Um, defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. You know, when we pray, we pray to God. And therefore we must be reverent. But he is also my God. Therefore we may be familiar. We may be close to him. I think a lot of times we pray, we, we pray at a distance in the sense that uh, you know, we pray to, to God as if we're slaves and he's distant and perhaps somewhat disinterested. 
His affection is not so much towards his servants. We make our requests hoping that we might be heard, but not knowing. But when the Holy Spirit of God helps us to pray, we can come right to God, even right to his throne, and say as Daniel did in verse 17. Now therefore, O Lord our God, Hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear and open thine eyes. Jude tells us that our praying should be in the Holy Ghost, he says. Galatians 4 tells us that God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And this is the way we pray when we're led by the Spirit. This is the way when we, we pray when we're filled with the Spirit. Romans 8.15 tells us that we haven't received the Spirit of adoption. We have received the Spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's the Spirit of God working in us. One of the things he does, one of the things he does is to help us pray to a God with whom we have a very familiar relationship. We're brought into this relationship. We're led into the knowledge and understanding of this relationship by the, the Spirit of God. And this is the way that Jesus prayed. Abba, Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark chapter 14, verse 36 records, and he, that's Jesus, said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Jesus, God's Son, prayed in this familiar way. And God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. And we are able to approach God and address God in the same familiar way. Abba, Father. You know, if you are a father, then you'll appreciate that no one can be as familiar with you as your children. Especially when they're young. They'll climb up on your lap, they'll cuddle you, cuddle you they'll tell you lots of things, they'll ask you lots of things that others cannot and would not and should not. No one should be so as familiar with you as your children are. This is a privilege reserved for children. And that childlike familiarity that we're able to enjoy with our Heavenly Father is taught in the Bible, in the context of the Bible's teaching about prayer. That's where familiarity is most appropriate. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it was like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. The whole basis of prayer is being a God's child. Prayer is one of the privileges of being in God's family. Prayer is a privilege of filial familiarity. And you can be familiar without being irreverent. You can be, and we must be. We can be familiar and close to God without detracting anything from his majesty. He is the only wise God, the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto or hath seen or can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting. Amen. God is that. And yet, the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us that this same God who is all of that, he also knows about little sparrows. He also cares about the lilies of the field. And Jesus, in revealing God in that way, does nothing to detract from the majestic God that Isaiah saw, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. We can be familiar with God and very much at home in his presence and at the same time also be reverent. Let's turn the... To see this, let's turn over to John chapter 13, please. The Apostle John. John chapter 13. <clears throat> verse 21. John 13, verse 21. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it is uh, it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, 
Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give the sop when I have dipped. You see there that John, John was the one who was very, very close to the Lord. You couldn't get much closer than that. Now I know that the culture and the customs of the day are very obvious there, but there's no doubting John was familiar. Way too familiar, some would say. But what did Jesus think? What did Jesus think? Verse 23. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. The love of Christ for John is here repeated and reaffirmed. Also in the answer that was forthcoming to John's request, verse 25, then he, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give the sop when I have dipped it. Know that John calls him Lord. He was at the same time both very familiar and very reverent. There is a nearness and a closeness that the Lord desires from us. And from that position, the Lord is very highly likely to answer our prayers and grant our requests, as he granted John's request here. Abraham was known as the friend of God. Moses spoke with God face to face. And both of these men asked God great things and received wonderful answers to prayer. Notice that Peter's at a distance here. Peter is at a distance. He lacked understanding about the whole foot washing thing. He earned a gentle rebuke by the Lord. I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. But then he also noticed he lacked the confidence to make the bold request. Peter had this idea. Who is it? John, you ask him. He didn't have the confidence to make the question himself. He didn't have the confidence to make a bold request. He didn't have the confidence to ask the question and expect to get an answer. And I think we're often like that. You know, we have a prayer need and rather than praying about ourselves, we find someone else who we know is close to the Lord. Can you please pray for me? Uh, it's almost like we're we're employing an earthly priest. Someone to do it for us. You've got to be careful about that kind of thing. Okay? We, we appreciate the help of others, absolutely. But we can go to Jesus ourselves. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Uh, a couple of minutes left. Let's come back to Daniel chapter 9. And we'll notice another characteristic of Daniel's prayer. Argument. Where he noted that uh, his prayer was zealous and it was intense. But the zeal and the intensity were employed in the form of argument and debate. And I, I think this is an aspect of prayer that perhaps we need to develop. In Isaiah 41 verse 21, the Lord says... Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. The king of Jacob. Remember Jacob. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He wouldn't let go. said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. He wrestled with the Lord until he received the blessing. And a similar way we need to wrestle with the Lord. Okay, some, several of those words indicate this wrestling thing. Um, uh, the, um, uh, effectual fervent prayer, okay, the energeo, the energy that is expended in such a prayer, or the agonismo, the agonizing in prayer. There are some things in prayer that we need to urge upon God. We need to urge this matter upon the Lord. We need to bring forth all of our reasoning before him, not necessarily because he wants to hear reason, but he wants to know why we want the blessing. How much do we want the blessing? And if you go through David, Daniel's prayer here, you see Dave, Daniel's reasoning here. Verse 15. When the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, the Lord's name was glorified. His testimony went far and wide. The Lord had gotten him renowned, but now they were captives in Babylon. God's people, God's name was now brought very, very low. Verse 16, he mentions his concern for the Lord's name, being a reproach amongst the people that are round about them. Verse 17 through 19. It's all about thy people and thy sanctuary and thy city and thy name. And this is the way that Daniel argues and reasons with the Lord. Lord, these are the reasons why you need to answer my prayer and grant my request. 
If you study the prayer of Hezekiah, it's very much the same thing. Lord, this is what they're saying. This is the things that they're saying about you. How can you allow these people to continue saying things like this about you and not do anything about it? He puts forth his arguments. Moses prayed in a similar way in, in Exodus 32, presenting his arguments before the Lord. Hezekiah and Moses and Daniel all appealed to the Lord. We'll finish with this one. They appealed to God's promises. They appealed to God's covenants that he had made. Daniel chapter 9 verse 19 concludes, For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Daniel and Moses and Hezekiah appeal along the same, all along the same lines. that the, These are your people. You put your name upon these people. They're not like other people. Yes, truly we have sinned. There's no question about that. We don't deny that. Deny that. But... But that doesn't mean we're still not your special people. That doesn't mean that a special relationship between us and you is gone. The special relationship between us and you is like no other relationship between you and any other people. And you've made a covenant with us. You've made promises to us. And he pleads the covenant. He pleads the promises that God has made with them. Lord, that nothing that bears your name be lowly esteemed or despised as an ordinary thing. Don't allow your name to be trailed through the dust. Come to the rescue of your name. Come to the rescue of your honour. Your stamp, your seal is upon this people Israel. Israel belongs to you. Lord, come to them and intervene. Now, this is an area, when we're thinking about presenting our case with the Lord, this is an area where it's so important that we know what the Word of God says, that we know what the covenants are. Which one belongs to Israel? Which one belongs to us? Which is the new covenant? What are the promises that God has made to us in the new covenant? It's easy for us to ask amiss. Or even to go beyond the bounds of reverent familiarity. But if we know the word of God, which God himself has spoken, if we can open up our Bible and present it to the Lord and say, Lord, here it's written, it's written. Then we can have great influence with God. If my word abides in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. I read of a man in church who prayed this way. Listen to the appeal and the argument that's here. He said, O Lord, thou hast been pleased to call thy church thy bride. Now we, being evil, have such love towards our spouses that if there were anything in the world that uh, would be for her good, we would not spare to give it to her. Wilt thou not then, husband of the church, do the like with thy spouse and let thy church receive the blessings now that she pleads for? It's a powerful argument. Get a promise from God's word. Spread it before the Lord. Lord, you've said it. Lord, now do it for your own honour and glory's sake. God, the Lord loves to be believed. And he loves to know that we believe he means what he says. Imagine what our half nights of prayer would be like or our Wednesday night prayer meetings where we take the, the prayer sheet, we see the needs there, we've got our Bible there and we, we know the promises of God that address these specific needs. Lord, this is what you've said about this kind of situation. Now, in respect to these last three points about nearness and argument and appeal, oh, I was going to read to you from a, a prayer of Charles Spurgeon, but I forgot the book. So, um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, basically it was this. Um, there was one point in his life when, when he was in such pain. I'm not sure what it was, but he was in such pain. I think he was in some sort of convalescence context and he asked everyone to go out of the room, just leave him be. Uh, and he prayed. And he prayed on the basis of the fatherhood of God. And he says, uh, <clears throat> you are my father and I am your child. And yet, and yet, uh, I am suffering in this way. He said, if, if, if I were an earthly father and I had a child, I could not stand by and let my child suffer in this way without seeking to try to do something for it, to, to help. And so therefore, on the basis of the fact that you're a father, and I'm a child, your child, and the fact that I know you love your children, I beseech you, please do something about this situation. 
Uh, and he testified that, that the Lord took the pain away and never came back again in that particular instance. Puts forth his argument before the Lord. Makes his appeal. And in that <coughs> prayer there is the, you can see the nearness of God, the way that he's talking, addressing to him, very, very familiar, yet very reverently. There's also this argument, there's also this appeal. And I think that uh, some of these aspects are best reserved for the context of secret prayer. Uh, there's a, a nearness and a familiarity which we have in our own children, which is most suitable in the quietness of our own homes. And so it is with praying. Particularly these three characteristics, which we've mentioned just there at the end, are, I, I believe must be, should be mastered in private first before we express them in public. The skillful use of a weapon must be developed. Just like David with Saul's armour. I can't go with these unless I've proved them. And I think that so, so will be certain aspects of prayer for us that unless we um, um, prove them and begin to... Uh, the best place to prove them and to master them is in their own private times with God. God might be able to <coughs> hear of all of your complaints and not be troubled by it, but the person sitting next to you could be. Okay? So just a thought to conclude with. Okay, thank you for your patience tonight. Let's conclude our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, Daniel. Uh, thank you for uh, the fact that he was a, a precious man uh, in your sight, but also as far as your plan and purpose uh, was concerned. Thank you for the things that you revealed to him, which are revealed to us. And uh, Lord, many things of a prophetic nature in the book of Daniel, but there's something here, uh, not so much prophetic, but uh, teaching on prayer, uh, which is very helpful to us. Uh, so many things that we see here in Daniel's prayer life, consistent throughout the scripture, particularly in, in the New Testament, teaching us how uh, that uh, we might pray. And uh, so I do, uh, Lord, ask that you would uh, help us with this. Um, we know that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And uh, Lord, thank you that uh, Daniel uh, is able to do that for us this evening. Uh, he's a good teacher. Help us to be good learners we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.